you're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network. Hey, I'm Steve Englehart, and you're listening to the Epic Marvel Podcast. Hi there, and welcome back to another episode of the Epic Marvel Podcast. I am your host, Curtis Findlay. And I am your Silver Surfer co-host, James Salerno. And we're talking today about Silver Surfer Volume 3, Freedom. In this episode, you're going to hear clips from Steve Englehart and Joe Rubenstein. And I'm going to put the the whole interview f- for Steve Englehart up on um, on our Patreon site at patreon.com slash thunderquack for those of you who are our supporters um, and then eventually it'll make its way to a regular episode. But um, as a way of saying thank you to all of you who support us, we're letting you hear all of these interviews first. The Joe Rubenstein interview, I'm going to hold back. Uh, I'm not sure if I'm going to uh, release that one or not just because it's. Uh, I feel like I did a really bad job as the interviewer, so it's kind of embarrassing for me. So um, I'll play a clip from that one, but uh, I don't know if I'm... Yeah, I might hold it back. So anyway, yeah. James, can you tell us what is found inside this volume? Sure can. Uh, This actually covers the 1982 Silver Surfer one-shot. Then it covers Silver Surfer number 1 through 14 from 1987. And then as uh, some bonus material, we get Supervillain Classics number 1, a short story from Epic Illustrated number 1, and an interesting story from Marvel Fanfare number 51. And then this covers from 1980 to 1990. I have an issue with the way they put that date on the back cover there because yes it does cover 1980 to 1990 but 1990 is that was Marvel Fanfare number 51 right was published in 1990 yes. and so but this series this book really only covers 1980 to 1988 because the next volume is going to say 1988. They kind of just, um, like, I noticed on some more recent Epic collections where they have bo- kind of bonus material like that, they yeah. don't count that. Like, they count yeah. it outside. I think that they should have so. should have not counted the uh, Marvel fanfare as the... Yeah, uh, I think they were still figuring out the format. Yeah, well, I think, yeah, the, the bulk of it is 1987 to 1988. I think that's, yes. that's the most important part of this book here. And uh, what do we need to know before reading this book? Um, you really don't need to know anything because uh, the one shot that's at the very beginning is like a complete recap of the Silver Surfer's origin um, because that comic being released in 1980, uh, that was before the days of trade paperbacks or anything like that. So, And there weren't even really comic shops. Like, I mean, there were, but they weren't readily, readily available. So if you wanted to read uh, like about characters' origins, uh, they would occasionally do reprint uh, stories like that or just like brand new stories uh, recapping origins yeah i think this was a smart move for the epic collection to kind of bypass the um the first volume of silver surfer which would be collected in epic silver surfer epic collection volume two and then jump right to this one because the other one has been collected many times this is this is pretty new material for a lot of people and like you said 
it's a great jumping on point. It's a it's a perfect place to start. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And then with this with this Silver Surfer volume here, um, this volume ran until like 1997 or 1998, so it ran like something like 150 issues. Right. And o- outside of like the major stuff, like the Infinity Gauntlet tie-ins and things like that, almost none of this has been reprinted. Yeah. So yeah, I was super excited that they were getting into this stuff. And the the volume they're releasing after that, which is coming out a little later this year covers some of the material is it all stuff that's been reprinted before or is it most I'm, stuff that's been reprinted before? i think a lot of it is i'm not ex- i'm probably not the right guy to ask like but um i i know like a lot of the like uh, the lead-ins to infinity gauntlet but i think there's some there's some issues that haven't been reprinted yeah so i'm looking forward to whatever the announcement is for the next silver surfer volume because hopefully We'll get some uh, some some new material there that we haven't seen for a long time. There's one issue that I remember growing up. It's a Ron Lim issue. And I think Jim Starlin might have been writing it. I'm not sure. But um, Silver Surfer is like in an unemployment line for aliens um, or something like that. It's just kind of a weird, a weird book. Um, but the the root of kind of that silly side to Silver Surfer begins in this volume here that we're going to talk about. So I'll mention that when we get to that, uh, to those kind of stories later on. Um, what are your thoughts about this period of Silver Surfer in general? This period is like right before I got into comics. So I wasn't getting into this stuff real time. Um, when I first started reading comics, uh, I was always interested in the Surfer as a character, but I never really picked up a lot of issues because um, I didn't have easy access to a comic store. And the newsstand that I usually got comics from, they only carried like X-Men and Spider-Man titles. So I came on board much later. And um, I actually originally read this when it was done as Essential Silver Surfer Volume 2. And it pretty much mirrored the contents of this, but had like an extra two or three issues in it. And I was just completely blown away the first time that uh, that I read those because I, I had no expectations going in. I didn't know what it was about. And when they announced that they were redoing this as an epic, um, I got really excited. You know, I got rid of the Essential and then replaced it with this. Yeah, I'm sort of in the same boat. I um I this was a little bit before I was getting into comics too, just barely. Um but I never aside from the odd issue here, I never read it. My first introduction to Silver Surfer was actually Silver Surfer Annual number 2. It was the f- beginning of the Atlantis Attacks crossover and I had no idea about any of the characters or any really what was going on and it just bored me that annual i think i <laughs> yeah. and i haven't read it since like i was 10 or something like that but that set my mind to thinking to thinking all these years that silver surfer is kind of a boring character so i never really got into silver surfer so um this and any other silver surfer volume we read is going to really kind of be all all brand new material to me including the uh the stanley first volume i i never really read any of that too so i was thrilled to to read this and i was even more thrilled to find out that i actually liked what was going on in these in this book too awesome yeah my um my introduction to the character is actually uh a little different um 
my mom, uh, she worked at a high school and they would hold like um, laser light shows in like the early 90s. Oh, yeah. And uh, she brought me to one of those when I, I must have been like maybe nine or 10 years old. And they played a Silver Surfer movie like with the cartoons at the beginning. Now, I know what you're probably saying like Silver Surfer movie. Yeah. Right. But it was like like I found out like years later that it was just like because um, I found it on YouTube. It was like a like a college kid did it. Oh, OK. And it kind of like circulated around. But um, but yeah, I I was just kind of I thought this was like the coolest thing ever. And then when I got more into comics, like, you know how there was always that kid like on the playground who would make up like stupid stuff to sound cool. Yeah. Well, like, <laughs> like I was that kid up for a while. I'm like, no, guys, seriously, there was a Silver Surfer movie. And uh, <laughs> sure, sure, like, James. I, I went, yeah, right. I went for the longest time, like thinking that like I just imagined that until yeah. I found it on YouTube, like, you know, <laughs> decades later. So if right. any of you kids from the playground are listening to this episode by any chance, uh, yeah, screw you guys. There was I was right. <laughs> <laughs> I, I will say though that I watched the Silver Surfer cartoon when it was on Fox Kids. Um, that was a very short-lived cartoon, and I quite enjoyed it. I liked the kind of the the, the poetry or the pathos that it kind of that it had. Um, it it was a it was an, an anomaly of a cartoon that's for sure did you ever watch yeah, that i always i always wanted to but that was kind of like during the period where they're like i remember marvel was just on like a real hot streak with their animation in the 90s yep. and that was kind of like at the tail end of it so like i think x-men was already off the air yeah uh spider-man was about to go off the air so like i was kind of like checked out by that point yeah yeah it was running i think at the same time as a really terrible avengers cartoon but oh, the God. um yeah <laughs> Um, but the, the surfer one was actually really good. It, it was very faithful to, I mean, I say this not really having read the comics, but from what I know of the comics, quite faithful to the original Stanley stories and everything, um, with a lot of Steve Englehart's influence in there as well. Like you see a lot of his, uh, the, the backstory for the characters that he, that he dealt with. Um, uh, it comes out in the, in the cartoon a lot. So it's uh, it's worth watching, and if you are Canadian, you can actually see it on Canadian Netflix. It's up there. Oh, cool. Yeah. What are your thoughts about this epic collection, the the quality, the content, the restoration? What do you think of this, the whole package? Uh, I think it looks awesome. Um, I I first read this in Essentials, so obviously anything is going to look better to me. Right, yeah. <laughs> like, just color. But um, I'll, I mean, we can kind of just say it right now. Marshall Rogers is the artist for most of these issues, and he actually colored his own artwork. And he works with like a very like muted pastel palette, mm -hmm. and and even when like he's not drawing, like it's it um other the other some of the other colorists like tried to mimic his work, so it just has a really cool look to it. Like it's very it's very cosmic, but it's not like it's not like Jack Kirby like big bright bombastic cosmic. It's more like subtle. Um, I, it's almost just it's hard to explain, but if like if it's kind of like museum like quality cosmic, if that makes any sense. <laughs> Oh yeah, I can I can understand what you mean there. Um, the thing here is that Marshall doesn't use a lot of heavy solid black shadows like Kirby does. Yeah. And Marshall is um, his drawings are a lot softer. They don't have the 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 corners and the edges that Kirby does. Um, so it automatically just looking at it like that um, has a different feel. And I think coupled with the fact that he is his own colorist makes a big difference as well like he's purposely not using the huge uh you know very vibrant primary colors he's staying staying right. quite far away from that yeah and he um he actually comes from like i think believe he comes from like an architectural design background right and um like he unfortunately he's no longer with us but uh 
he he didn't really work uh do a lot of work with marvel he's mainly a dc artist like he had a pretty legendary run on batman and then a few other things but um yeah there's just there's something about his artwork that just looks so out of place from everything else but like in a good way right like it doesn't it doesn't look like a marvel comic from 1987 like it looks like yeah. something that like maybe like you know like some indie publisher would would have been doing that like some like you know mm-hmm. book that's getting like great buzz on uh, on the indies well and it doesn't even look like his batman work like he really chose a different style to go with silver surfer yeah and it, it really helps kind of sell the whole like alien aspect of it like it just it just feels like something that you've never seen before right which is good i actually have a clip of steve talking about what it was like to work with marshall rogers there's a very specific color palette in your in your run here especially in the early issues was that um, a decision that Marshall Rogers came up with himself because he yes. was coloring the book. Yes. Um, it's interesting. Marshall penciled things that looked gray. It was, you know, it was Terry Austin who came along in the Batman stuff and really made it look black and white. You know, Marshall's okay. pencils, Marshall doesn't deal much, didn't deal much in um, blacks and whites. He He has this kind of gray. I keep doing present tense, but you know what I mean. Right. He sort of saw the world in a gray tone. I mean, you might say Gene Colan did too. I mean, you know, people who don't see it in black and white but see it in shades of gray. And whenever he would color stuff, he would color it in those kind of mid-tone things. Mm. Um, and, yeah, that was entirely him. Yeah, I was quite happy with this epic collection too. It just looks great. The The restoration on this, the colors are so fantastic. And... Um, there's the the few pages of the um the epic illustrated that are colored i think like i don't even know it's like it may be pen felt pen possibly yeah or maybe like uh, maybe like the ink wash yeah i don't i don't think it's watercolor but it's um it's hard to restore that stuff because it's not solid colors because with the with the rest of this book they completely like they just they reconstruct all of the color but when you have something that's used like like that with it such a different medium they don't reconstruct that color they just have to kind of clean it up the best they can and it looks really really good now was was epic illustrated number 1 i actually have that um i have no clue where it is right now but um was that in black and white or was like portions of it in black and white um i don't know you would have to go check your issue yeah <laughs> I, don't, <laughs> I don't know yeah, maybe and that um, might take like three days to dig down and find that somewhere. But <laughs> I know that some of it was black yeah. and white. Because I'm just I'm just trying to think if this wasn't black and white, like where would it have been recolored? But yeah, I don't know. I, I now that I think about it, I it might have been like like one of those like half and half magazines where most of it was black and white, but then they had like color in the you know like the main stories. Right. So. If it was originally in black and white, then the epic collection probably would have told us because. Um, when Moon Knight ran in the Hulk magazine, the black and white Hulk magazine, it was those issues were black and white, but then it was oh, reprinted yeah. in color. And when they put it in the Epic Collection, they chose to put the color one in, and they put a little note in there saying that this was originally in black and white. Yeah, same with uh, like the Marvel UK uh, stories that are in the X, the most recent Excalibur uh, one. So yeah, they do a good job of telling you that kind yeah. of stuff. So I guess it probably was originally in color then. Cool. All right. Okay, we're going to move on to listener comments. Over on Facebook, listener Josh says, This epic truly is epic. 
Marvel cosmic grandeur at its best. The elders of the universe plotting to kill Galactus, thereby creating a new Big Bang in the universe, just so they can lay claim to being the oldest beings. At the same time that the Kree Skrull War II begins, with the Silver Surfer bandied about between all of it like a cosmic pinball. Not to mention he's got not one, not two, but three potential love interests in these first 14 issues. Kudos, Mr. Engelhart. This is some top-notch writing. Hard to put down. Really enjoyed this series and hope we get Volume 4 in 2018. And he just adds at the end, I also love that epic illustrated mini-story. Fantastic artwork. So thanks for your comments, Josh. Over on Twitter, we are holding a Twitter poll. And uh, James, did you have a chance to check that out? Do you know that we're doing these? Um, I actually, I know that we're doing them. I don't have Twitter, though, so unfortunately, I didn't get a chance to check it out. <laughs> well, I will uh, read you the question, and you can okay. tell me what your answer is. The question is, in the Silver Surfer epic collection, Freedom, who is your favorite leading lady? And the options were Mantis, Nova, and Shalabal. And 25% of the voters said Mantis, and 75% of the voters said Nova, and nobody said Shalabal. Um, what are your thoughts on that, James? Wow. I w- I w- I'm kind of surprised nobody said Shalabal, but I actually I would have said Nova, because yeah. I, I always thought she was like an awesome character. I loved when uh, John Byrne introduced her in Fantastic Four, and it's kind of a shame that she got killed off later on, and then surprisingly, I don't think anybody's ever brought her back, so kind of a waste, but yeah, yeah. she was awesome while she was around. I was going to say, I said Mantis. I think Mantis is quite a fascinating character, both her, just her history, um, her creative publication history, and also just her history of her character being the celestial Madonna and such. It's a, she's an interesting uh, person for sure. So I I chose Mantis. Um, But yeah, there we go. And we're going to throw up another Twitter poll based on Iron Fist, which is going to be our, the, the subject of our next episode. So check out Twitter and uh, look for for our uh, latest poll. Cool. Okay, next up is the issues. The first issue in this story is Epic Illustrated, number one, and it's called The Answer. And the basic gist of this story is that the Silver Surfer wants to try and travel to the very edge of the universe because he thinks it can't possibly go on forever, and Galactus, in this very smug way, says, um, actually, I know, I've tried this already. You're not going to find the answer you're looking for. And, uh, and sure enough, he doesn't. <laughs> it's only like yeah. eight pages or something like that. But it's it's actually quite a good story. I really like it. It puts Silver Surfer kind of putting it, um, making him think about his place in the universe and such. And he's just kind of it's an experiment. He gets to go through this little trippy wormhole of such that takes him through through the one end of the universe to the next. It looks cool. Like as a story, like it's really like I mean, there's really not much to say about it. Like right. it's kind of one of those like I don't want to say pretentious, but it's just very like um, <laughs> you know, he's like, what is the answer? Like you must not know what is the answer, and it's like kind of that like over and over again, but. You know, he like you said, he travels through the dimensions or whatever, and then eventually just winds back where he started. Um, that kind of stuff, you know, for seven or eight pages, that's you know, that that's fine. That's inoffensive. Um, Epic Illustrated, like for anybody who doesn't know, that was actually Marvel's um, kind of like attempt in the early '80s to like attract uh, the indie, like independent um, publishing market. So yeah. they offered a lot of uh, like creators who haven't uh, been like made it big yet, like the opportunity to tell like short stories, and it was published as a magazine. So, yeah, it had kind of a similar setup to like heavy metal, 
it was geared yes, toward exactly. an older audience. And uh, I know that uh, Wendy Peeney, who does the ElfQuest series, had a short story in there. And Star Starlin had a few. I think his um, his character Dreadstar, Dreadstar first appeared in that issue. And yeah, it was. Uh, you say the story has this like pretentious feel, and like that's kind of classic Silver Surfer, though very pretentious yeah. in that sense. And it's written by Stanley, so I kind of kind of get that from him, <laughs> you know. Yeah. And it's one of those stories too. Like you don't, it's it doesn't need to fit in a continuity anywhere. It's just like a completely nope. like standalone story. So it's yep. just it's you know, a good for, little character piece. Yep. Yeah, yeah, and I'm I'm glad they did include it. Yeah, me too. Okay, so um, on to the next one. We're going to uh, Silver Surfer number one, and this was the number one from uh, 1982. The story is Escape to Terror, and um, this was I believe this was a originally planned as an ongoing and then that was later changed um this was actually uh illustrated by john byrne and uh stanley got to stanley wrote this too right john byrne wrote the plot and stanley just scripted it stan script okay yeah because yeah for the like for those of you who don't know stanley uh especially at this time he was very protective over the surfer like all his other creations he would let any other writers handle them but he wanted to be the only person who wrote the silver surfer like he just felt like a real connection to the character so he got to share him with Byrne here, who, uh, and Byrne was actually, he was doing Fantastic Four at the same time as this. This was a, a $1 comic, which was, uh, this, I believe that was like double size issue at the time. So it was a higher price. It was a uh, direct market only back in the day when they really didn't do uh, one shots like that too often. And then as far as what the comic is about, they basically just recap his origin. Reed Richards invents like a little like uh, Deus Ex Machina to get the Silver Surfer off the planet because Galactus, um, you know, he trapped him there. So he goes back to Zenla, finds out it's destroyed, goes back to Earth to find Shalabal. And it was all a plot from uh, Mephisto to uh, get him trapped back on the Earth again. Have you read the original Silver Surfer issues? The Stanley and John John Buscema ones. Yes, I actually um I read those in the in the masterworks. So is this um is this reference in here when Shalabal was with Doctor Doom? Is that does that happen in that series? If it did, like I I didn't read the whole series. I only I think I only read like the first twelve issues, and I think there's like maybe eighteen. Um, that might have happened in a Fantastic Four. There's just no footnote in it, so I wasn't sure. Um. Yeah, but I don't re recall reading that story before, so I'm not sure. But it seemed like it it was it's pretty specific to have just been made up for the couple of panels that it's here in this issue. Right. Yep. So, um, uh, what did you you think of this one? Well, I uh, I quite enjoyed it. It was a nice. It was it was a good story. It had a lot of um, meat to it, especially because it's a double length issue. It's, sometimes I tend to find that when you have double length issues, it just means the fight is dragged out for an extra 10 pages or something. But um, I think recapping the origin was a smart move. It, it goes through a couple of different acts. So that, uh, that helps break it up. I feel like John Byrne actually is doing his best John Buscema impersonation in, in this because it doesn't outwardly feel like a John Byrne artwork. Yeah, I agree. And at, at this time, too, there was two Silver Surfers. You either drew John Buscema's or you drew Jack Kirby's. And they were both very different characters. Like Kirby's looked a lot more alien. Yeah. Yeah. As as we go through this epic collection, we'll see uh, some examples of both. Well, and a and a brand new version of Sil Sur Silver Surfer as well. Yeah. And then um, another thing to point out is uh, Mephisto. Like he was like a huge villain in like the first series. So the fact that he was like behind like the Surfer's torture here, that was like 
like it, it this really just had like the feel of those those old uh 1960s uh surfer comics the the right. volume one yeah and the fact that stan scripted it too now silver surfers appearances started coming fewer and far between because stan was getting so involved with all of the media things that were going on with it with marvel comics like the tv shows and movies that were being made and the cartoons and stuff and he had even moved out to los angeles so he wasn't even in new york anymore so yeah to have this come out in 1982 was a little bit of an anomaly because silver server just hadn't been used for a while so it was neat it's neat to see yeah. and then unfortunately this series if it was planning to be an ongoing didn't it didn't go anywhere but you know it it is just a nice standalone story it works. It yep. works really well. I had this comic uh, when I was a kid. Like, this was one of the first, like, quote, old comics that I ever owned. Oh, yeah. So, like, I, I always thought that, like, it was going to be worth, like, a ton of money. So, like, I, you know, held on to it forever. And, I mean, it's worth, like, maybe 10 bucks or something. But <laughs> <laughs> I just thought, you know, old equals money. So, like, I, I this issue always kind of holds a special place in my heart. Well, that's good. It's it's a nice one to have. It's got a great cover, too. What a fantastic cover. Yeah, it's, it's every, everything you want from a one-shot like introduction to a character right it tells you everything you need to know and also on let's see what page is it on page 18 of this epic collection the very first panel is the famous cover to joe satriani's surfing with the alien album from 1987 oh yeah oh wow i didn't even notice that (laughs) yep i and i never know if it was just lifted here for the cover or if they actually licensed the character for the cover i, I don't remember i don't know what the story is there well he actually d- remember there was a silver surfer nintendo game that came out in like 1989 or 1990 yeah and i believe it had like a joe satriani soundtrack to it like he was oh. credited obviously you wouldn't even tell because it's nintendo music but yeah <laughs> <laughs> right eight bit yeah Wow, yeah, my, I, I had no idea. My my dad's like he's into that kind of music, and I always remember he had that CD. Like I would always like look at him, like why is there like a, a Silver Surfer CD? Like I like I didn't <laughs> get it. <laughs> right, yeah. Well, let's move on to the actual Volume Three series now. The the bulk of this book starts with um, issue number one again, Silver Surfer number one, and this one is called Free. And this is the very first part of the Marshall Rogers and Steve Englehart run. And before we get into it, I just want to play a little clip of Steve talking about uh, coming to this comic, getting the series. When Stan had left the company to go to L.A. and start moving toward this future that we now have, um, uh, he said all the characters were, you know, available to the company except the silver surfer he wanted to keep the silver surfer only for himself when i came to the company uh and they gave me the defenders the surfer had appeared in the defenders so i you know i got in touch with stan and i said can i use him in the defenders and he said yeah don't you know don't make him like a regular but yeah you can you can use him if you want and i said thank you very much and, and went on about it but I knew that was the, you know, the, the parameter. So 10 years later, uh, or whatever it was, um, I get this call one day from Shooter saying, you know, we want to start a Silver Surfer book and we want you to write it. And I said, well, what does Stan have to say about this? And Shooter said, Stan's gone. I'm in charge. <laughs> uh, well, Shooter said he would fix it. And I never heard anything from Stan. So I figured, you know, he fixed it. And, and, you know, Marvel's, I think Marvel's corporate thinking was um, we own this character and he never appears because Stan put a lock on him 
maybe after all this time we can get Stan to loosen up on it. And I guess they did. I mean, I, you know, again, I never heard from Stan and, and the book went on to run a hundred and some issues. Yeah. So this is the very first issue. It's, it's double size. And in it, we have uh, the Silver Surfer trying to get away from, from Earth, basically. Um, and as you heard in the clip, uh, one thing that Steve wanted to accomplish was uh, getting him back into outer space because he didn't want to tell Earth stories for his entire run. So, yeah, this is uh, he meets up with the Fantastic Four and they help him get into, into space, but not before there's a big fight with this guy, the champion. And he play, the champion plays um, a, a bigger role later on. It's, it, it's sort of planting seeds to what's coming up next. And so, yeah, that's basically it. He's he's free. The, the issue ends with him racing off into the stars. And I just love how it starts. The very first page is nothing but stars. Space is infinite. And, yeah. Yeah. It's such a, and then you turn the page, and it's just stars with meteors. It's a double-page spread of the vastness of space. And this is not... It's not a Jack Kirby space where there's all of these comets and flashing, like the planets are all different colors and you see, you see the Kirby crackle. This actually looks like just dense, it's dark space. Realistic, yeah, like something you something you'd see in like a you know like a book about like the planets or astrology. Yeah, and it's just great. And you turn the page and you have another double page spread. And this time, added to the asteroids is the Surfer. And it's just what a great way to start this book. It's like we get we get what we're going for here. We're talking about we're going to talk about some big, uh, big vast stories that match the vastness of the outer space that servers flying through. Yeah, absolutely. And I think uh, like space is infinite. Like that kind of just that grabs your attention right away. Lets you know what you're in for. Yeah, these stories are going to the ideas coming out of this book are going to be infinite. Yeah, they're they're very very big ideas. Like if anything like has an epic scale in the epic collection, like you know, no pun intended, this is it. And right. um, this this was absolutely the right way to to take the character. Because um, like I was saying, I, I did read a lot of those Stanley John Buscema um, issues. I know they're regarded as classics by a lot of people. It's it's not really my thing. Like it kind of it kind of gets old where he like learns like oh maybe humanity wasn't so bad after all. You know, kind <laughs> of stories like like. This and we'll get into it a little bit later. Um, there, there's a lot of backstage stuff going on with this issue. Mm-hmm. You'll notice it's like almost like how, how many years apart did this? This was 87, right? And the then, last one was 82. Okay. okay, yeah. So that's like five years in between where uh, where that uh, that one shot was supposed to be in a series. So you know this this was actually written as like a different concept. Um, where uh, but Engelhart wanted to uh, you know get it off the ground and out into outer space, which yeah, it's just it's it's a much better fit for the character, and it it really made the book unique too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think he doesn't go back to Earth at all in this volume. Like he's gone. He's just he's the the, the universe is his oyster. Yeah, and there's um there's some really cool uh, artwork tricks in this one. Um, the way the way he gets out into space was kind of like like simple. He just uh, like the, the the board. What was that? What was um that was what was held by the barrier. Right. So he just went out the board. It's like oh, well, why didn't he think of that before? And it was like the thing. The that thing was, was the best part. Is too. the thing yeah. <laughs> got to shine right there? Like how fantastic is that? Yeah. But it's also like 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 let's just let's get this out of the way. Like just get him off first. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. We don't need so any clever ex- explanation. We just yeah. got to do it. <laughs> And there's um there's a lot of instances where uh, Marshall Rogers uses turning the page as like a really great narration tool. 
So when the champion slugs the surfer, like he's like mid conversation with like the Fantastic Four on one on one page, and then you turn the page and like all of a sudden huge yeah. panel and they punch right in the face. Like, wait a minute, did I skip something? Yeah, exactly. I and it just like that that kind of stuff. Like you just you can't get that with digital comics. Like you know that page turning. Like wow, where did that come from? Sort of thing. So like I just. And there's a couple other instances of him doing that in these comics that I'll point out as we go along. Sure. But yeah, I, I thought that was really, really cool. And then also when the surfer is flying onto the planet to rescue uh, Nova Galactus's Herald, mm-hmm. there's just a gorgeous like point of view landing um, on this planet. Like you see the planet, then it zooms in like he's in the atmosphere. Then it gets closer and closer and closer. And all these panels are like the same size. And then he just like bursts through and like and rescues her. It's like wow, like that's yeah, it's amazing looking. Totally. And that whole that whole double page spread when he crashes into that building. It's page ninety four, ninety five of the Epic Collection. Is and you see the passage of time. Like it's just one big shot. Yeah. Of, a stationary shot over two pages, but you see the passage of time because of the the walls that he's crashing through break up. They they act as um, individual panels. It's just really yeah. brilliant layouts. And um and Engelhart to his credit too, he knows when to shut up and let the art tell the story. Like yeah. like there's there's a lot of like pages here of just no dialogue, but it works because it's getting over like the scope of what's mm-hmm. going on. On the flip side, there are a lot of pages with a ton of dialogue in this in yes. this first issue, especially like holy cow, there. I'm, I'm looking at page um, 78 and 79, and it's like there are there's maybe some of these panels. There's just barely enough room for a face, and like yeah. that is a lot, a lot of dialogue here. You you have a lot going on in this comic. Like yeah. there there is so many things. Um, the surfer's kind of uh, I don't want to say boring, but he's very like stoic. So the interesting take on him here was how other people react to him and how he fits into other situations. Mm-hmm. So you have like um, you have a new Kree Skrull war that's brewing in the background. You have the elders of the universe planning something, yep. you know, against Galactus and whatnot. And then you have Surfer uh, who's struggling between, you know, going back to uh, Shalabal or, you know, does he even belong there anymore? So tons and tons of stuff is, is going on in this book. Englehart also has a really deep understanding of what else is going on in the Marvel Universe at the same time. Um, he, uh, he, he really pays attention and ties a lot of that into here. There's a lot of flashbacks of what, uh, what has been going on with Silver Surfer in the various different books in, his, in the five years that he's been going on. He makes just tons of references here and there to, uh, and maybe it's not just in this first issue, but in the first few issues, to things that are happening in Avengers and things that are happening in Fantastic Four. Yeah. I mean, it helps that he's kind of written all of these books as well, so he he kind of knows what to do, what what's going on here. But you'll find this, and it's the same in Fantastic Four. Um, during this, he was writing Fantastic Four at the same time that he was writing this, and uh, yeah, both of those ones are just really heavy with continuity. He's really into that. Yeah, and this is um this is everything that you'd want from an issue number one. A lot of issue ones start off with like a cliffhanger to go into issue number two. This one doesn't really. It more. It's more like it just it, it hits the ground running. Like it completely uh, overhauls the like the take on the character. Uh, completely new direction. And then like the last line of the book, join us for more infinity. Like as he's flying out into space, you're like, wow. Like this. Yeah. This is really cool. All right. So the next one, uh, Silver Surfer number two from August 1987, Shala Ball. What do you got on this one, Curtis? Well, again, this one starts with 
epic space, a big, big picture of stars, just like the first issue, just to kind of remind us that we're in outer space still. Yeah, this was good. It was return to return to uh, Zen Law, but uh, yeah, this one really kind of just—it's a direct sequel to the other Silver Surfer one shot from 1982, because we find out what happened to Shalabal and to Zenla after the events of that in that book. This was a very good, like, um, kind of like t- tying up loose ends issue. Right. Like they kind of they, they kind of put that final nail in the coffin of their relationship. Like uh, the the surfer goes back because um, in the one shot he actually granted her some of his power so that she was able to repopulate the planet with uh, vegetation where previously it was all technology. Yeah. So she's doing that. She's the new empress. And her empress duties do not give her time for relationships. So the Silver Surfer, he no longer feels any connection to this planet. And then in a really cool panel, he kills off uh, Norrin Red. Norrin Red is um, the Silver Surfer's real name, like before he became the Surfer. Uh, there was like a monument that said, here was born Norrin Red, a son of Zen La. And he just erases it and uh, just puts the S- Silver Surfer. So kind of just really killing off his old life for good. Yeah. And I feel like um, Steve did that because he really wanted Mantis to be the love interest because he's yes. got such a connection with Mantis. And he's like, I can't do that if he's still pining over Shalabal all the time. So I really got to, right off the bat, I need to take care of that situation. <laughs> So he does. And that's good yeah. because at like every previous Silver Surfer story was him, you know, talking about how much he missed Shalabal and Zen La. So you really need to just, if you want to move the character forward, you have to put an end to that. Yeah. And he did a great job of doing it. And then this issue also ends right where it started with a big one page spread of outer space. So it's yes. it's just a nice uh, nice bookend there. In fact, the I believe the, the page before that mimics the the second page in the issue let's see if i can see that yeah so he's um flying the second page is him flying past the sun and then to zen la and then the second to last page is flying away from zen la and back around that sun and back into outer space so it's a it's a it's a nice bookend and there's um there's some really cool moments here too like they're very subtle uh, you don't really think of the surfer as having emotions, um, but he kind of acts like petulant. Like he he talks like, you know, I could just uh, I could restore Zen La to its former glory with like a wave of my hand, you know, my cosmic powers and whatnot. You know, and she's just like, no, we we really need to learn how to be a society on our own. You know, we don't need you to do everything for us. We need to learn how to struggle. We need to learn how to fight. Yeah. And he's kind of uh, he kind of that kind of even though he's like, you know, the most powerful being in the universe, that kind of makes him feel useless. I also really like that they've taken Shalabal, who is the epitome of a damsel in distress and turned her into the ruler of the planet. Like, I think that's pretty darn awesome that they've. They uh, that Steve had decided to give that role to her. Yeah, she definitely gets a lot more characterization in these issues than she had previously. Yep. So we also see the starting the the seeds of the Kree Skrull war here because um the Skrulls come to visit Shalabal and start to try and form an alliance with her. Uh, and we don't really know what all of this means at this point, but it, we get we get to figure it out pretty soon. Yeah, the Skrulls actually they lost their ability to shapeshift. Um, oh yeah, I that's something was... that's that's important to mention. <laughs> yeah, it, it happened in an Avengers annual, I think, but not a lot of people know about this. So, um, of course, the Skrull and the Kree—they're like the two big uh, interstellar empires in the Marvel universe, and they're always fighting each other. So, if the Kree find this out, then the Skrulls are like they're they're screwed. 
So um, the Skrulls are looking for allies, so they send their diplomat to meet with Shalabal, and they see the surfer, and of, of course a fight breaks out, and uh, that's kind of like the point where Shalabal says, you know, we, we really don't need you fighting our battle for us. Right. So yeah, so that's kind of cool. So that's boiling over in the background. Well, let's move on to issue number three. This one is called Heaven, and this is our introduction to seven of the Elders, uh, starting with the Collector. And if you are a fan of the Marvel movies, you will definitely know the Collector from uh, the uh, Guardians of the Galaxy movie. So in this issue, right off the bat, we're, we're met with the Collector, and there is a giant box on page 131 that explains that the West Coast Avengers Annual and the East Coast Avengers Annual that are on sale, the Silver Surfer appears in there, and a lot of stuff happens, and then... Um, and then he comes here to to visit the collector. So it's kind of like we're we're if you don't read those ones, you don't really know what's going on and why he's there with the collector. But uh, those two issues are are reprinted in the Avengers Epic Collection called Judgment Day. So you can check those out. And according to uh, one of the bonus features in this book, at the very end are a couple of um, the first three letter pages for Silver Surfer one, two, and three. Uh, where Steve Englehart wrote some articles about the Silver Surfer because they didn't have any letters to print at the time because it was the first three issues. And in there, he says, One final note about the current series. As many of you know, this was originally planned to debut at Christmas, but the scheduling department decided spring made more sense. Fair enough, except that a guest appearance by the surfer in West Coast Avengers Annual Number 2 and East Coast Avengers Annual Number 16, which we thought would come after Silver Surfer Number 5, now comes after Silver Surfer Number 2. This issue, the issue that this article is printed in. So look for the surfer in three weeks in the West Coast Avengers Annual where he will begin his tangle with the elders and then rejoin us here for Silver Surfer number three. Not, try not to notice if the continuity gets a little rocky. We'll smooth it out next time in Silver Surfer number four. So even the readers at the time would have been confused because those annuals were, were out of place there. So <laughs> at least he let us know. Nice of him. But yeah, so this issue, um, the collector's wife has willed herself to die, and he's kind of in a state of grief. So Silver, Sur Silver Surfer is with Firebird, and they travel to space and have a little heart-to-heart, -heart, and she says she thinks that Silver Surfer's messiah. And um, I believe I feel like this is kind of another way of Steve to kind of untie some of the, the, the stuff that's come before, because Silver Surfer has always had kind of this messiah complex. I wrote the exact same thing in my notes here. I wrote, because you know how everybody used to call him Space Jesus, and he says right. something like he renounces religion completely. Yeah. So, I, yeah, that's kind of another, like, let's let's put the past behind us moment. Yeah, and, um, and then after all of that is said and done, he learns about all of these guys named the Elders, and he's met three of them already. He met uh, the Collector and the Grand Master and the Champion, and now in this issue he meets the fourth one, um, the Runner. He can run in outer space really fast, and they have a little tussle, and uh, that's about it for this issue, except at the very end, uh, Silver Surfer kind of loses his battle. He gets thrown onto a planet, and the person who comes to his rescue is Mantis, and that leads us into the next issue. I find that this is a, uh, this is a very dense issue with a lot of completely different things that happen, um, and I didn't even mention the Korean scrawler starting their battle here as well. Yeah. Um, so yeah, a lot, a lot's going on. 
Yeah. Uh, just, just to kind of, um, we're, we don't really need to go like in depth on those annuals. Basically all you really need to know is that the elders of the universe, uh, they basically played a game with death. And as a result of this game, uh, death banned them from her realm. So the elders of the universe can't die. And, uh, what, what the collector is grieving about here, basically, you know, like Curtis was saying, his wife died. He can never join her because he's not allowed to die. Death won't allow him there. And there's a, it's very well done, like with uh, the panels of him grieving. There's just three panels of silence that kind of just like pan out and just, it's, it's really cool. And the surfer kind of like empathizes with him. And um, there's another cool moment, like when he's with Firebird back on Earth, uh, she's talking about how beautiful the sky is. And the surfer just says, like in one of those cold alien surfer moments, he's like, I do not appreciate the sky because the Earth was my prison for so long. Yeah. And then like with the Kree and the Skrulls, the Kree do not know that the Skrulls lost their shape-shifting ability. And uh, there's like a there's kind of like a little battle going on, and the scrolls actually commit suicide instead of getting boarded, which isn't like typical scroll behavior. So that kind of makes the Kree suspicious. So I like I, I thought that was kind of cool. And yeah, then, um, they do that so that they can their secret the secret of the their loss of yeah. shape shifting ability is not discovered when they're you know tortured or whatever. Right. They're... Right. So that's 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 really neat. And then uh, Marshall Rogers does it again with his panel uh, with the page turning stuff here. Like um, the runner just completely shows up out of nowhere. Like you just turn the page. It's like, boom, who the heck is this guy? Yeah. And uh, I'm kind of like, I, I really like this character, the runner. Like uh, you'll see um, like a lot of the elders are, are like kind of um, not they're not like evil, but there's kind of like sinister undertones to all of their uh, their um, obsessions. Um, basically like an elder of the universe is somebody who outlived his entire species and devotes his entire existence to, uh, to one particular hobby. Um, the collector, like he likes to collect things, uh, the runner that we're introduced to here, he, uh, Curtis, what does he do? Well, he runs. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So basically if he, you know, you can kind of take that away from the name. Um, yeah. So, and, and then he, uh, he really just, he whoops surfer like pretty good. And, uh, yeah. And then we should, uh, we should probably explain Mantis a little bit because she is a really, really weird, weird character. Like if you, if you didn't like know just like how weird comics can be, like you'd kind of explain her and be like, what the heck is that? Like, (laughs) (laughs) well, he's a character that, um, that Steve Englehart created, um, while he was writing Avengers and, um, she's kind of this she's a martial artist and she not she got i can't remember how she was she her body was altered so that she would be uh, an appropriate mate for an alien species called the kotati which is like a plant a plant yeah they're species. basically just sentient plants so she became the celestial madonna which is just the the ultimate for, um, form of a woman who gives birth to an entire new species and that species is this um, human Kotati yeah, hybrid. It was. It's like uh, they quoted it as like uh, the perfect union between mankind and plant that will bring peace to the universe. Right. So yeah, yeah. And so uh, all all you like new school comic fans like that think like you know Grant Morrison like you know came up with all these kind of crazy ideas. Yeah, Steve Englehart, guys. <laughs> <laughs> He was doing this back in the seventies. So. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, and there are some there are some writers or creators. It doesn't have to be a writer; it could be artists as well. Who um, who are really attached to their own creations, and Stephen Englehart is one of these guys, because anytime he writes another book, uh, he takes Mantis with him. So we see Mantis show up in Fantastic Four, 
and Mantis showed up in West Coast Avengers when he was writing West Coast Avengers, and now Mantis is here in Silver Surfer. Um, but it doesn't stop there. Uh, he actually, when after he left Avengers, he went over to DC, and he uh, had a character over there who looked su- suspiciously like Mantis and acted like like talked in the same um, third-person speech and uh, uh, had a different name. I can't remember what the name of that character was. Willow. Uh, Willow. Oh, yeah, Willow. That's right. Yep. And then after that, he went over to Eclipse Comics and had a creator-owned comic that he did with Marshall Rogers called Scorpio Rose in which he had another, like, he put he put uh, Mantis there under the name Lorelei. I actually have a clip of Steve talking about Mantis just in this context and how he she kind of followed him everywhere. She was sort of my first, my first love, shall we say. I mean, you know, um, she's the first character that I created and, and did my thing where I just see how far I can go with the character and all that kind of stuff. And so her original run in the Avengers became this this vast epic, um, and then it came to the end. And like you're okay, fine. You're supposed to come up with a new Avengers group, and and her story was over for the time. And I, you know, I mean, I figured I'd see her again someday, but it's like, you know, fine. She went away, and then I went away. I went away from Marvel, and I went over to DC, and right after that. Um, I was down at the San Diego Comic Convention, and a fan came up to me and said, does this mean we'll never see Mantis again? And I, you know, I mean, the kind of guy I am, I said, no, we'll figure out some way that we can, you know, that we can make that happen. And so over at DC, I brought her in as Willow. Um, fun, fun story, I thought, you know, where she keeps saying, I can't tell you where I'm from, but, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, Um and Julie Schwartz was my editor over there, and he was a great guy, and he was he was down with it, you know. I mean, so we did that, and then so then I then I got you know hubris, and I thought every place I go, I'm going to bring her along. So when I went to Epic uh, or Eclipse, and then Epic, but uh, you know I put her in the Scorpio Rose book, changed her name again because now I could own her uh, <laughs> right. as a lie. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, so she was she was going to be part of the Scorpio Rose thing. But then the Scorpio Rose thing fell apart, as I said earlier. So uh, there she was. And and, um, you know, everything I said before and the fact that at the end of the day, she's the goddess of life, basically. I mean, she's, you know, she's the celestial Madonna. She's a character that just has a lot of potential and, and a lot of stuff that can be done with her. So. I made her the Silver Surfer's girlfriend in that first issue that never that turned out to be apocryphal. Uh, I later brought her into the real Silver Surfer. Okay, and then uh, so with that wrapped up, we're going to head into Silver Surfer number four from October '87 called Mantis. Title pretty much self-explanatory. We're explaining who Mantis is. Um, we kind of recap her origins, uh, her marriage to the Swordsman, the Celestial Madonna stuff. Um, Mantis uh, has the ability to teleport between plants and she can actually teleport between plants like universally. Like it's not just limited to earth because she's not an alien. She actually was born on earth. Um, so because she's connected to all of these plants, she's actually been aware of the elders plans and that's how she came to rescue the surfer. So we have, we have, uh, the first meeting there between Mantis and the surfer and there's kind of a little bit of a romance, uh, blooming Mantis is definitely interested in him. 
there's some other stuff going on here with the Korean Skrulls. Uh, the Celestials actually arrive on the Skrull planet. And uh, you know when that happens, that yeah. usually means trouble. Never a good thing, <laughs> never. never. That's worse than Galactus showing up. So. <laughs> yep. Yeah, and uh, Surfer and Mantis, they, um, they're spying on some of the Elders. Uh, the Elders are actually meeting on Ego the Living Planet. Uh, because he's actually considered an elder of the universe as well, because there's no other being in the universe like him. He's unique. Mm -hmm. And it ends with the elders attacking uh, both Surfer and Mantis. And uh, they, they escape, and Mantis actually kisses the Surfer. So um, I know, uh, Curtis, at the time we're recording this, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, uh, the movie hasn't dropped yet. Right. But um, yeah, so we actually have we have Ego, who's going to be in that movie. And then we also have Mantis playing a pretty prominent role in this book. So any of you out there who uh, want to check out the comic book origins of those characters, if you're interested from the movies, you know, check out these issues. Definitely. And it'll be interesting to see how they portray either of these characters, because they from what we see in the trailer, they really don't look like they're going to resemble the comic counterparts right. like at all, <laughs> in terms of their personality, at least. Yeah, so just continuing on our Mantis uh, conversation from from that quote that I had, from the little clip that I played, on page 161, we see um, one panel of Mantis sitting in, in her kitchen on Earth. That's actually... Um, a scene from Scorpio Rose number two, the indie comic that he did for Eclipse Comics. Oh wow! Um, I didn't know that. Yeah, I mean it's not exactly the same, of um, but it's uh, it's pretty similar. So that's like she wore the headband and assumed an, um, a different identity in that book, uh, and so and she has the in the panel after that, she has the line, she moves from world to world as surely as blood courses and sap flows and that's got a double meaning there one the meaning is her ability to teleport through plants but it's also a little nod to the fact that she's going from marvel to dc to eclipse to back to marvel going from world uh, to world yeah. <laughs> so i thought that was kind of a neat little nod there yeah, this was uh this this was a pretty uh pretty pretty good issue if you uh needed to be caught up on Mantis because she might she might be somebody that readers of this time weren't that familiar with. Yeah. Um, another cool thing I found Engelhart doing in this um I, it, it was in this issue he he kind of just drops like these random space facts like every now and then just to give you like a, a sense of scale of what's going on. So he just. What does he say here? He goes, uh, one quintillion equals 18 zeros when he's uh, <laughs> describing distance. Right. So just like little random like nuggets of information that he drops like that, they, they, go, they go a long ways towards, uh, you know, kind of immersing you in this world. Do you want to run down the different, um, the different elders? Oh, yeah. They, they have a little powwow here where all of the elders are, are on ego discussing and they kind of say who all of them are. Um, I think this is all of them. There might be more. I'm not sure. But there's Grandmaster, Collector, and Champion, and Runner, who we already met. And in this scene, we also see um, the Professor, and the Gardener, the Contemplator, the Astronomer, Obliterator, and the Traitor. And I think that's all of them. Yep. Yeah. And then, uh, I mean, their names are pretty self-explanatory as far as, like, what their obsessions are. Yeah. We don't really get to know a lot of them. Yeah, and I believe this is actually the first appearance of a few of them, like the ones that we haven't seen before. Like, I think this is the first time you see the traitor, the first time you see the obliterator. Yeah, I'm, I think Steve Englehart created pretty much all of these guys except for Grandmaster and Collector. Okay, yeah, because they've, they've been around they've since been like around, the 60s. Yeah. Oh, and Ego. Ego's there as well, and he's been around since oh, the 60s right. also. 
but yeah, yeah he's kind of like he's not really considered like an official elder he's kind of like a de facto elder of the universe but you know he kind of he tolerates their presence on his well him his self he is a planet so right so okay one thing i want to mention is that here's their master they also outline their master plan in this scene so they are older than every other living thing because they, they, they can't die. They outlive everything. But there is one person who's older than them, and that person is Galactus. Galactus actually lived in the previous universe that existed before the Big Bang. So they, they now band together because they figure that uh, they, they, they don't want Galactus to be even more elder than they are, so they want to kill Galactus. Since they can't die, they're going to destroy the entire universe. And then from the new Big Bang, from this new universe, they're going to be the new Galactus. Yes. So it's go. like, wow, that's like some serious, serious <laughs> <Yeah>. stuff. <laughs> it is. It's, it's so strange. Like I said before, just an epic scale. Just everything going on is just so huge. Right. Yeah. Well, we can move on to number issue number five. This one's called Obliteration. And in this one, Silver Surfer fights the Obliterator. And here we have a really odd character design, I find, for the Obliterator. This is a, a Marshall Rogers original. And... Uh, he just looks unlike any other character in this book. He's got he's a little bit more on the cartoony side. Yes, very. Um, <laughs> and in fact, by the end of this issue, his character is a little bit more on the the cartoony side as well. So this one is pretty much just one big battle between the Obliterator and and Silver, Silver Surfer, and um, Mantis helps out a little bit as well. Um, but in the end, they figure that if he just takes away. Because the obliterator's thing, his obsession is that he has to destroy, to obliterate. And he has he has all of these weapons on his suit in order to do that. So Surfer says, well, if you don't have the weapons, then you can't obliterate. And he's caught in this paradox now because he can't die. But in order to live, he needs to obliterate. But if he can't obliterate, he has there's no reason to live. So it kind of destroys his mind. <laughs> it's yeah, kind of it's, a funny it's pretty ending. cool. Yeah, like like it's kind of, it's kind of like weird. Like you know, why can't he just get new weapons? But I can almost look past it because it's you know they really do have like a cool take on how that would affect him. Yeah. And then um, I just wanted to point out too, like if this comic came out two years later, uh, the Obliterator, he probably would have looked like Cable. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> so, yep. <laughs> yeah. He's kind of the precursor to the huge guns and pockets and stuff. <laughs> yes. Yeah. He's got pouches all over his legs. It's... Yeah, that's really funny. Yeah, and then um, another big, big uh, happening in this issue is that uh, there's a Kree that spies on the Skrulls, and uh, he actually confirms that they did lose their powers. Hmm. Um, the Skrulls uh, find out about the spy, um, but it's too late. The Kree already found out, so the second Kree-Skrull war is on. Yeah. Oh, the other thing is um, that we should mention is that the, the Skrulls, they not only lost their powers— but if they happen to be in a different form, a non-scroll form at the time that everybody lost their powers, they were stuck in that form. Yes, to uh, to comedic results in, yeah. uh, in some in some instances here. <laughs> um, the other thing we can mention here is that uh, the Obliterator actually manages to obliterate Mantis, but she just um, she can just you know regrow herself from foliage that's elsewhere like she just transferred her body to a or to her essence to another plant and regrew herself so that's something new that she hasn't really been able to do before yeah and then um something else like about the surfer uh he 
you know, you had Galactus. Um, he's basically free from Galactus now, but even though he's free, he's still getting caught up in Galactus's plans, even though it's unwilling. So it's kind of like, you know, it's like no matter how hard I try, I can never get rid of him. I think in this issue, we really get a, a good sense of what the, what the Kree, sorry, what the Skrulls are capable of. A lot of the times the Skrulls are portrayed as as being just a dumb alien race just they're brutes they're 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 kind of just out for war they're kind of bullies or whatever but they're not smart but they actually are smart yeah and i feel like they're like the klingons in star trek because everyone kind of says the klingons are kind of dumb as well but they actually are tactical geniuses in in terms of yeah. battle and stuff so they, people don't give them enough credit okay so uh we'll go on to uh number six and this one is entitled war so basically you know self-explanatory the second kree scroll war uh we're in the middle of it uh as we mentioned before um scrolls are stuck in some forms that they were uh shape-shifting in like whenever that uh whenever they lost their powers um, there's one scrawl here called Aptok that uh, I really liked uh, the little twist that they gave to Aptok because Aptok was apparently like one of their best warriors. Yeah. <laughs> and he's basically stuck in a form that looks like uh, like a melted candle. Like he's a he's like this really, really ugly, like feminine form. And uh, so he's just like completely disgusted by himself. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> there's another like funny moment where like uh one of the other scrolls just like pinches his butt and then he just like turns around and just like decks the guy <laughs> so <laughs> that, was, that was pretty neat um yeah so uh then back back on uh back on the kree homeworld uh the, the kree supreme intelligence he's uh he's their leader he's basically like this creation like this big blob of a head in a jar that like has all of their minds uh inside of his mind He's having some trouble because uh, there's a lot of racism in the Cree culture. There's blue Cree and there's pink Cree, and uh, because the supreme intelligence's mind is made up of both, like it kind of like drives him crazy. But um, they plan a trap for the Skrulls. Um, the Obliterator kind of just goes over his origin here with Surfer and Mantis. Um, the Elders go to uh, Earth to meet since Galactus pledged not to go to Earth. So I thought that was a cool nod to continuity. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, th this issue is really busy. The Skrulls, um, they actually, they don't fall for the Kree's trap. Uh, they actually, they turn away from the Kree's ships. So that kind of makes them think like, is there a spy? And uh, we'll find out that yes, there is. <laughs> yeah. So the, yeah, the Supreme Intelligence later on, he brings the, uh, the Kree leaders before him to determine which one the spy was. And I think there was like four or five of them. And uh, they all deny it, of course. So what does he do? He kills like, uh, there was like a helper, like, monkey looking thing that was like a pet like I, they didn't even reveal if this thing like had like uh you know like intelligence the ability to, and stuff intelligence yeah. yeah so he just like well if it's under you i'm killing this thing and he just completely fries it so they're like whoa <laughs> so yeah bi bi busy busy issue what'd you what'd you think of this one curtis this one i actually had to to read this one in a few different takes because it was so busy <laughs> yeah i just uh there was a lot of stuff in here i didn't care for like the origin of the obliterator he's he's not a character that out of all of the elders to get an origin story like i didn't care to know his <laughs> origin story there were a couple cool moments though there's the page on 204 where he's talking about the uh, kind of the beginning of time uh, and it's just a cool page by Marshall Rogers. Really yeah. neat, uh, I guess, interpretation of the beginning of the universe. And I like how it uh, it fades to the top to have no border, 
so it really gets a sense of burning really, really bright because it bleeds to the white of the edges of the page. Yeah, for somebody who's mainly known as like um like a DC like Batman artist, like he does awesome like outer space scenes. Yeah, and I think I actually um I'll play a clip here of Joe Rubenstein uh, talking about what it was like to work with Marshall Rogers on this. I I don't really remember how I was offered the job, but generally it's it's very casual. It's like either they call you up or maybe you're at the offices and they say, hey, we got a Silver Surfer job. You want to ink it? I go, who's the pen for it? They say Marshall Rogers. I say, sure. Um, I've never inked full issues of anything Marshall did. I did, um, I think I might, I'm not even sure I ever inked Marshall on anything prior to that. Um, but then I inked it, and the thing is, is that um, I think I had all 20, was it, no, I think it was a double-sized issue, like 48 pages for the first one. Right. And um, being as the Silver Surfer is a very small figure, naked with no details, a little bit of shine in the middle of a lot of space, um, it went, went very, very quickly. I think I might have <laughs> actually, you know, and, and, and memory distorts, and maybe I, I just made it a better story in my head. But I get the feeling I did the majority of that job over the weekend, which is like almost impossible. You can't think anything about 48 pages over a weekend. But because it was all space, it went, went very quickly. Um, and Marshall didn't require a lot of rendering. So I was fine with doing the thing. And I thought it looked fine. And, and Marshall, he really loved what he did. He cared and had very specific instructions about where Zipatone went and what kind of Zipatone he wanted. Zipatone, for those of you who don't know, is a pre-printed pattern, whether it's dots or lines or squiggles, onto a very thin sheet of cellophane with a, an adhesive back to it. So if you wanted to cover a background and make it darker and wasn't sure that the colorist would understand that, you could just cut that out, the Zipatone, put it onto that area, brush it, uh, uh, rub it on so it wouldn't move, and then you had the effect you wanted. And Marshall was very, very specific about which Zipatone he wanted, where, and how. And God knows my philosophy is give the pencil what they want, and I was more than happy to get the direction. I guess Marshall liked what I did because I was on the book for whatever, however many issues it was. I've forgotten now. One, one thing I did want to point out, too, about the uh, the artwork, um, there's, like, a really cool, it's like kind of like a suggestive panel here, like, where the surfer and mantis, like, finally embrace. Right. And, like, like the panel, like, zooms out and out, and, then like, you see, like, asteroids, like, flying by, and, yep. like, uh, comets, like, shooting through the sky, like, you know, hey, something happened there. <laughs> <laughs> like, that old, uh, that, what was it, that old controversial um, Nick Fury panel, where, like, uh, he's, he's, like, making out with some girl or something, and they just zoom in to like a panel of his gun and like in the holster yeah that's right (laughs) (laughs) kind of like that that was the famous censored page right that they like changed yeah Yeah. no that was um i know we're kind of getting off topic here but uh he was actually shown embracing um the woman and they said that that was too suggestive but they allowed him to do the the close-up of the pistol and he was (laughs) like just even more more suggestive suggestive, which doesn't make sense but whatever comics code (laughs) yeah that's yeah, but so that's funny. a pretty big, uh, big development in their relationship because Surfer, you know, he's kind of he usually stays away from you know mere human emotions. Yeah, well, I don't even think he got to second base with Shala Ball. Yeah, so this, <laughs> this is pretty big. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's keep on going here to issue number seven, and this one's called Triangle. We go back to Zenlon to Shalabal in this issue, and in this one is it's interesting because the elders have now collected the five soul gems. 
and the soul gems i think were last seen in the avengers epic collection that we just we just talked about in a previous episode the final threat and uh, because adam warlock's story was kind of wrapped up there but they've now got all of these soul gems which they're not called the infinity gems at this point they're called they're all just the same the soul gems uh, and they're planning to to use their combined power to destroy Galactus. The soul gems were they were like they were a big deal. Like I know they became a huge, huge deal. Like with the the later Infinity Gauntlet uh, stories, and then of course, if you're watching the movies, like you know, where we've been building up to those for like ten years now. But um, they weren't that big of a deal yet. So this is kind of like the genesis of them becoming a really, really huge deal in uh in the comics. Yeah. Um, one question for you, James, because I don't know what this is a reference to. Um, on page 233 in the third panel where you see the Hulk, it's like a flesh-colored Hulk. Oh, yeah. There's a little symbol in the corner, tips toe. Something. Yeah, I don't know. I don't have no idea what that is. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, I have no idea what that is either. It's it's just... Um... It's got to be Rogers throwing in like a little Easter egg about something. Yeah. Okay. Well, so any, any listeners out there know what it is, you know, let us know. Yeah, definitely. Let us know. I don't have a whole lot to say on this one. It's um, there's just a whole lot of talking and I guess Silver Surfer meets the Supreme Intelligence for the first time. So I guess that's kind of cool. He basically uh, decree or threatening Zen La and Surfer just absolutely destroys them and says, you know, like stay off this planet. And there's some really cool like uh, zero gravity scenes that uh, Marshall Rogers drew with like the surfer fighting these huge giant Kree robots in midair. So I thought that was neat. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And the Supreme intelligence actually has one of the soul gems. So this ends with him like completely frying the surfer's brain. And uh, if any of you are familiar with like uh, the early incarnations of the soul gem from like the old Adam Warlock comics, like it actually like puts them in like a, uh, this weird, like parasitic like dimension where their minds are overtaken so yeah, so the the surf we end these, this issue with the surfer just like completely brain dead, and we also see that one of the elders, the contemplator, is working with the supreme intelligence. Oh yeah, that starts way back here. I forgot about that. Yeah, um, cool. Yeah, there's a there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff that happens. I found that um, it was in the middle here in in this book where I I kept having to start and stop. Um, I found that it was just, it was so dense that you can only take so much. Um, It picks up a little bit toward the end here, but in in these few issues, there's just a lot going on. Yeah, a lot of uh, of moving pieces. We we forgot to mention, too, that when uh, at the end of the last issue, um, they were both supposed to go to Earth, but uh, Surfer found out about the Kree on Zen La, so he went to Zen La, Mantis went to Earth alone. Um, but the elders actually found out. And if you remember, one of the elders' names was the gardener. So, yep. I mean, you kind of guess what he does. You know, Mantis has her control over plants, but this guy is an elder of the universe. So the gardener has powers over plants like way more than she does. So they actually capture Mantis and she makes like a last ditch cry to help to, uh, to Zenla. Right to Shalabal. Right. Because right. of her connection with plants as well. Yep. So that's kind of cool. It kind of kind of ties those two together, his two love interests. Mm-hmm. Um, so Silver Surfer number eight, Soul Sweet Soul. And this is a bizarre issue. <laughs> okay. Yep. Uh, so basically the entire issue is like a dream sequence. Um, the Silver Surfer is, you know, he's brain fried. He's stuck inside this soul gem dimension. 
And he's basically just having like hallucinations. Like um, at the beginning, it's like a 1950s sitcom where the surfer's sitting there with like his trench coat, fedora, and slippers. Um, and I need to point that out because the trench coat and fedora was like his disguise in the old Stanley John Buscema is- issues. And oh, yeah. um, it shows up a few times here too. And I don't know what it is about trench coats and fedoras, but for some reason, in like in the Marvel universe, they can hide anything. <laughs> well, that's that's <laughs> like, just it's um, Ninja Turtles did that too. That was their yes. kind of go-to disguise. Well, if you remember, like, I mean, as far back as, like, the 60s, that was what Ben Grimm used, you right. know, when he wanted yep. to uh, public. So, like, <laughs> that would just hide everything. <laughs> so, yeah. apparently, it works for the surfer, too. So, <laughs> so he's got he's got that disguise on here. He's seeing all the loves of his life. And, you know, the, he's seeing the Cree. Um, there's, like, this weird hallucinating, like, talking dog that appears and uh, kind of tells him, you know, to, to, you know, shake out of this. And I guess the dog is supposed to represent his surfboard. Um, his surfboard is actually being experimented on by the Cree scientists. So Surfer eventually kind of, you know, gets his act together, summons his surfboard, takes the soul gem out of the Supreme Intelligence's head, and then that leaves him brain dead. And then uh, the Surfer just, you know, escapes the planet. And Shalabal then calls to Mantis for help. But the astronomer answers. So Shalabal and Mantis are both uh, captured by the elders now. And uh, yeah, what do you think about this one, Curtis? Uh, this was a pretty wild ride. And I think I mentioned earlier um, about that one issue where Silver Surfer is kind of standing in line at, in like alien unemployment office. And how yeah. it was kind of the bizarre, the bizarre side or the funny side to Silver Surfer. And this issue is kind of the start of that it sort of sets the groundwork to say that we can have these issues of Silver Surfer that are going to be on this level. And I think now, especially like with um, Mike Allred doing Silver Surfer, like his run recently, yeah, things like that, like that, that, that starts here. Steve Englehart took this stoic existential character um, who was very serious and gave it this other this other side. Yeah, and that's like one of the oldest tricks in the book too. Like you take like the ultra straight man and just yeah. put him in a ridiculous situation and then just see what happens. So yeah, it's, he's perfect for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so this is also is this the issue where we find out there's a Kree spy who's actually this a is the, yeah the, uh, the the one we were talking about before Aptek the really the, the scroll who got stuck in like the pathetic form yeah he's actually a lover of the scroll Nenora and Nenora is disguised as one of the Kree generals like one of the supreme intelligence's closest uh, confidants right but um Nenora like won't even show Aptek the time of day now due to his grotesque form so <laughs> right. that, that's uh yeah that's that's kind of neat and then we'll we'll get into that a little bit more later Okay, issue number nine is called Doomsday, and this was a pretty cool issue. We get to see Galactus, kind of like like we haven't seen him before, um, as the elders stage their attack against Galactus. And coming to join in the fight here is Galactus's herald Nova. Um, this is a uh, this is quite this is quite the battle. The um, there's a lot of really cool things going on here, especially in Marshall Rogers' art. It's yep. just uh, um, from the very first like double-page spread where it's pretty much all just kind of purple and blues set against the starry background to like the, uh, what is it, on page 274, this giant explosion, how he cuts the, the page into panels on diagonals, on angles and such to give this a uh, sweeping effect that starts in the top corner and sweeps its way down in this curve kind of and then as you see on the second page on 257 you see surfer going up to the top right corner 
it guides your eye. Yeah. I think that's a really cool page. Um, but there's just like page after page of just really inventive panel layouts and storytelling uh, through this one issue. So this one, in terms of um, Marshall Rogers' art, could be my favorite issue out of all of them so far. Yeah, me too. He did like a really cool scene with uh, when the elders created a, or when Galactus created a black hole. And like the universe is get, like getting sucked in on itself, and yeah. like it just looks so like awesome. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. There was there was definitely a lot going on here. Like, the Mantis and Shalabal are captured, um, and then the trader offers Surfer a deal. Like, he wants the gem for them. So Surfer says, you know, the women are like, no, don't do it. Surfers sacrifice us, and of course he can't do that because he's a good guy. And, and he uh, has feelings. They, yeah, yeah, and they screw him over anyway. So they, the Grandmaster, like obliterates Shalabal and Mantis, and Surfer only has time to save one. So he saves Shalabal and Mantis is Mantis's history. That and that was surprising. I mean, I guess yeah. you have to. Shalabal and Silver Surfer together is kind of like a Peter Parker Mary Jane situation. Right. Like, yeah, Peter Parker can have other girlfriends, but he's always going to go back to Mary Jane. Right. So we end with, like, Galactus, like, stabilizing uh, the black hole. And this this was an awesome issue. Like, just that whole, the whole cosmic battle is just, like, so large scale. And, like, they're destroying planets. They're, you know, destroying suns. It's, yeah, this this is cosmic comics at, at its finest. Yeah. Yeah, and you don't get the real example of Galactus's powers. Because all you usually see him do is sucking energy out of planets and stuff. But he can do yeah. so much more. Yeah. And, and this is a really great... These next two issues really show what Galactus is actually capable of. Yep. Okay. So number uh, number 10, space is eternity. Um, so the elders, they cheated death, right? But here's the thing. Galactus actually lives outside of death and eternity, and he devours the elders. <laughs> yeah, that so, was a pretty awesome that, scene. That was awesome. And uh, so he devoured five of the elders. Three of them got sucked up into the black hole. Uh, the obliterator is inert right now, um, but the contemplator is still out there because only his astral self was present. Um, Surfer, he's he's very upset over Mantis dying, and uh, Galactus almost sympathizes with him. So you, you kind of see that they, you know they have a very unique bond. Also, I, I wanted to point out here too. Uh, th this actually has one of my like favorite Galactus lines ever. Um, Galactus is he wants Surfer to go with Nova after the Contemplator, um, go to a for a exchange for sparing Zenla. And the surfer is like, you know, I don't really have time to do that right now. And Galactus is like, like time, like what's time to you? It's like you've lived for an eternity. And the surfer <laughs> says something like uh, his exact words were like, your audacity amazes me. And Galactus just counters it with, am I not Galactus? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, what an argument, Ender. Am yeah. I not Galactus? Like, <laughs> so that, that was amazing. Um, yeah, so th yeah. Th this was a really neat like take it uh at their relationship and then galactus actually kind of it ends with him sort of getting indigestion from the <laughs> from elders, the elders. You, yeah. yeah you see death kind of looks pissed off at the end you see a huge skull that like dwarfs galactus in outer space with just like its mouth open yeah because uh galactus i guess kind of in a way cheated death so who knows what's going to happen there and i actually um i marked down here this is my favorite issue in uh in the entire epic collection yeah, yeah, this is a really good one too. And we you didn't even talk about the highlight. For me, the highlight of this book is when Galactus meets Eternity. Oh yeah. Yep. And they just they just talk like they're buddies. And apparently Galactus 
Galactus assumes the appearance of a star um, because that will be non-threatening to eternity. And I guess he, apparently Galactus can take on the appearance of anything. How does he put it? Um, Whatever race you are, you, you see Galactus as that. So like a scroll would see Galactus as a scroll. As a scroll, right. And then it takes, yeah. so eternity sees Galactus as a star. But I think that Surfer can see Galactus as a star. Like, they're watching from a distance, Surfer and Nova, and they can see him in this form as well. So I think it's a physical change. Yeah, yeah, because he kind of, like, steps outside reality to meet with Eternity, too. Yeah. So And, like, Surfer and Nova, like, Surfer is just kind of tired of being a pawn in Galactus' schemes. But, like, you got to remember Nova, she came from Earth, and she hasn't been a herald for that long. So right. she's still, like, amazed by the scope of all of this. And Surfer kind of writes her off as just being naive. So, yeah. yeah. And then um, one thing, too, uh, I actually forgot to mention was that uh, the Skrull Nenora, the one who's posing as a Kree, she meets with, uh, quote, Ambassador Abtok. And then, you know, of course, we know the history between those two. Yeah. So they're like, okay, guards, get out of here. They embrace, and, you know, they kiss or whatever, and then they go share some drinks. And one of them has poison in him. So Nenora killed Abtok. <laughs> so it's like, whoa, that's like another huge, like, uh, turn of events there. Mm-hmm. Every, every single one of these issues just has, like, this big shocking... Uh, you know, big shocking moment. So yeah, they, they definitely keep keep the story moving. Some more Marshall Rogers coolness is that page that you're talking about where Galactus says, Am I not Galactus? on page two ninety four yeah. and two ninety five. <laughs> um so one thing that always bugs me about when I watch Star Trek, I've already made one Star Trek reference this episode, but I'll make another. Um <laughs> whenever the ship is damaged or not like floating in space, they always portray it as like tilting on its side. Yeah. But there is no right side up in outer space. Um so that doesn't make sense. It's just uh it's just a weird thing. So in this page on 294 295, Silver Surfer's just kind of floating around there. Marshall Rogers draws him in any like at any angle, it doesn't really matter. <laughs> so yep, there's one changes the, from panel the, to panel. The very first panel, Surfer and Nova are right upside down and in another panel like Galactus is floating at an angle coming down and it's just uh there is no up and down and you get a sense you get a big sense of that in, in the way he draws these these panels I like that cool um I do want to say that sprinkled throughout this book are uh, little pinups from various different places like Marvel fanfare and stuff by different people so um following this issue is a pinup by Rick Leonardi and we've seen a couple of other pinups already but we don't need to mention all of yeah. them. Epics in general do a pretty good job of collecting any kind of a promotional material or anything like that that was coming out at the time. Chapter 11, or issue 11, it's called Nova. This issue, we get uh, Silver Surfer Nova looking for the Contemplator. We have a different penciler. This is our first uh, fill-in, first guest pe- penciler. It's Joe Statton. And he, right off the bat, he has a quite a different style. And you can tell he draws the surfer more like John Buscema drew yep. the surfer. Whereas Marshall kind of stayed away from the blacks and the shadows, um, Satin kind of embraces them. It has a more of a regular, I guess, comic comic book kind of feel to it. But uh, in this in this issue, we have another weird moment where uh, Surfer is, sorry, so Surfer and Nova are going undercover to uh, try and find the contemplator. And... Uh, <laughs> He's dressed up kind of like a pirate. <laughs> yeah. So um, whereas the other funny issue was in a dream, this one's actually in reality. And this was an interesting issue too, because at the end we start to see like Silver Surfer maybe is have, having some feelings for Nova. 
So it's like, come on, you just uh, yeah. you're just jumping from he one woman around. to another here. <laughs> I thought you had no feelings. <laughs> Your feelings are coming up out in spades now. You forgot to mention too. Actually, before he puts on the pirate costume, he has the fedora and coat. Oh, does he <laughs> again? For <laughs> some for some reason, there's a spare fedora and coat in outer space. <laughs> Wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and let's see what's going on with the Cree here. He uh, he goes to visit the Kree to give them kind of another. Is it is this when he gives them them the ultimatum? This is actually where um uh, there's like a fake Silver Surfer out there, and he goes and annihilates some Kree worlds. And oh yeah, you know we don't know how how this is happening because the Surfer is actually with Nova right now, and they're kind of like in this. It's called the Colsec Nebula, and it's like kind of like a it's like a scummy section of the universe. Like there's a lot of pirates and things like that. You know, th- think like you know Tatooine from Star Wars or something. So um, yeah, they go there to look for the Contemplator, and uh, of course, because they're pirates, like you know, they get into trouble and fight and whatnot. And then we're uh, introduced to a like a reptilian creature at the end who actually addresses them by their name, Surfer and Nova. So I guess uh, the disguises didn't work. He knows who they are. <laughs> Yes, and this character's name is Reptile. Yeah, he's called Reptile with a Y. Yes, because that's pretty cool. Yeah, he's really like uh, against like humanoid creatures. Like he's he has very like uh, to him like the Surfer, uh, Nova, humans, um, Kree. Like they all they're all humanoid, even though they're different. And he believes that like reptiles are like uh, the um, the dominant species in the universe. Yeah. So, yeah, it's kind of kind of a neat take on like evolution and stuff. This issue is also the first appearance of Clum. Foul up, and he doesn't make a huge splash in this volume, but he plays a quite an important role later on. So keep your eye out for this guy. Yep, this one's kind of like a down issue, basically just Surfer and Nova, you know, getting to know each other as they uh, as they search for the Contemplator. Um, Steve Englehart, uh, in the interview that I had with him, mentioned that Marshall Rogers can, could be quite slow yeah. in, in his work. So I think I wonder because we have a guest penciler here and we have an issue that doesn't particularly move the plot forward a whole lot. Um, if it was just kind of, this was a fill in meant to just pad out to give, to, to let Marshall Rogers catch up. Yeah. So then issue number 12, um, Rogers is back on art. This one is called sick. Uh, so reptile kind of reveals, you know, who he is. He's been hiding in this Colsec nebula and, um, it kind of pr- protected him from like outside evolution and teachings. So he stayed as a reptile. Um, so that was kind of interesting. Um, he captures uh, the surfer in Nova and uses them to fuel his ships. Uh, he's actually shielding the contemplator as well. He has the contemplator on his ship, um, but there's also plants on his ship. And we find out that these plants are the Kotati, the, um, those race of plants that are uh, they share the homeworld with the Kree. Um, so they pledge to help the surfer due to his alliance with uh, Mantis. They kind of, the guy you mentioned before, clumsy foul up. Um, we don't see too much of him in this volume, but um, this is kind of like his big moment here. He shows up a lot later. Uh, the Kotati take over his mind and have him free Nova. So Nova actually then attacks the other ship and frees the surfer. Reptile, uh, the contemplator tries to warn Reptile, but Reptile says, you know, get rid of the surfer, you know, let him go. It's more important that we survive. We're not warriors. And then in another awesome Marshall Rogers moment, like an awesome page turner, the contemplator is in mid-conversation. You turn the page and holy crap, Reptile just chomps down on his neck and just starts like eating him alive. And it's like, it is very graphic and like disgusting and really cool at the same time. 
Yeah. Well, and like, yeah, there's a panel with one of the Kree barfing or something in the background. Yeah. Yeah. And he said sick. Well, yeah, yeah. That was the title, the title of this issue. So, yeah. And I just, that, that was like the third time Marshall Rogers did that in this epic collection. And I just, I love it. I wish more artists like took advantage of, you know, the, the fact that you have to turn the page like that to build suspense. Like mm-hmm. it's just, and you really, you do not see it coming at all when he does it either. Like the contemplator literally in mid conversation. <laughs> so it, it was... Wow. Well, let's move on to issue number 13 coming up to the end here. Um, this is called masks. Uh, this is another issue that's drawn by Joe Staten. In this one, we get Ronan, the accuser. Some people have, I think some of the Kree have found out that, um, Oh no, we have like a rebel uprising. The the Kree are the Kree are suspicious of Nenora. Right. So some of them go to attack her and then Ronan crushes them and uh kills them or whatnot, and then Nenora sends Ronan after the surfer because of what that fake silver surfer did to those to those uh Kree worlds. Yeah, so yeah. this isn't a, a big uh this this one really advances the plot on that uh on the Kree scroll uh deceptions. Yeah, and so Kree and um Ronan comes after the surfer and we have this big fight that lasts for two pages with no words and no sound effects. I thought that was an interesting choice. Not the same sort of dynamic layouts that we would get from Marshall Rogers, but it's uh, right. It's fine. It's a, it's an interesting example of the difference between these two people when we have when we have um, their books, their issues, kind of side by side here. Yeah, and I didn't really know anything about Joe Staten. I guess um, I did some research. So he was he's a pretty big uh, DC guy, though. He did a ton of work in DC, like for the 80s. I think he did like a lot of Green Lantern and um, a few other books like that. And I believe he was an art director for um, some independent publisher for a while. Oh, yeah. So well, he, uh, he certainly he, he certainly knows his stuff. Um, I think he's more just of more of a classic guy. Yeah, this is a fill-in too. Yeah, so. it is. Yeah, Dave Cockrum actually inks here, so it's yeah. kind of a it's kind of weird seeing him show up at this time. Yeah, and then uh, Marshall Rogers is no longer on colors either. Um, this is colored by Tom Vincent, so he tries to stay in like the same vein as Marshall Rogers, but it, it the artwork kind of falls off. Now, um, does do you know if Marshall Rogers ever comes back, or is he done now? I believe he's back for like one more issue or something like that. Oh, um, but okay. yeah, no, he's done. He's so done. then it's like fill fill-ins until what? Like Ron Lim comes in. Yeah, next, he. I want to say. Yeah, Ron okay. Lim is the next regular guy, and he comes in pretty quick. I want to say there are like maybe in the next volume there are going to be one or two issues that are not Ron Lim, and then he steps in as the full-time guy. Okay. What did you think of uh, Ninora um, touching base with the Skrulls while she's undercover? Like they they ask her like what happened to Aptok. Oh yeah, yeah. Like... She has such an interesting story because you don't. She starts to just kind of um, get a little power hungry. And... She gets really into this role. Like and... she's not in it the Skrulls anymore. Yeah, and she's yeah. in it. She's in it for her own reasons and almost behaves like like a Cree. Agreed. Um, yeah, and like it, it, yeah, it's, it's doing it's, things on their defense. So it's yeah, and her story just gets even more interesting as the time goes on. Here, um, in the next volume, just some incredible. Uh, awesome. She does some incredible things. Yeah, and you you yeah. do see Aptog's body in like a garbage heap, just kind of like casually like laying there with like the other trash. So it's like wow, like like that's cold. Yeah, <laughs> and, and she tells him like, oh, he's uh he's on a mission or something. Don't worry. <laughs> like as you see that in the background. And um, yeah, she uh, she actually lied to uh, to the Skrulls about the Kree's shield being down. So the Skrulls go to attack the Kree, and they're just completely massacred. 
And then like the Kree start to suspect something again because like the scrolls aren't that stupid. Yeah. So so yeah, so there's a, there's another issue where you know a lot of stuff's happening. Yeah, and at the same time, um this was a period where Marvel was telling Steve that um they didn't want him to continue on with these huge epics. Um they wanted to get back to the single issue storytelling. So and you can kind of tell in these issues because they feel like fill-ins because they only advance the plot minimally because yeah. because he's trying to do these single-issue stories and using the overarching story just as the B-plot kind of behind the scenes. That kind of makes sense, too. Like, if you look at the cover, it's the surfer fighting Ronan. So, like, they're kind of using that as, like, a selling point when it's really, like, only, like, four pages of the issue. Yeah. This issue really shows a lot of the blue and pink Cree racism. It's uh, I never really realized. I thought that the um, the fact that they had the blue and the pink Cree was just a mistake initially because they had like the flesh colored Captain Marvel, whereas yeah. all the other Cree were blue. So they had to kind of write that into the story that there were these two kind of different kinds of Cree. There was a blue Cree and the pink Cree. Yeah. I'm not sure if that's the actual story of how that came about, but that makes sense to me. Yeah, no, the Cree, like, basically as a race, like, they're very uh, racist against other people and their their own race as well. Like, they're very uh, nationalistic. And, um, like, in the Guardians of the Galaxy movie, like, they actually kind of hit the tone pretty well with how they uh, how they portrayed the Cree race. Yeah. That's pretty much their, their MO. They think they're better than everybody else. Okay, so uh, this is actually going to be the last issue of the regular Silver Surfer series before we get to the bonus material silver surfer number 14 silver mirrors the two silver surfers fight uh the imposter and the regular one it's impossible to tell who's who but uh one of them beats the other one nova is still suspicious so she tests his knowledge by like dropping little clues like saying she was born in brookline and then the surfer goes you mean brooklyn and he's like oh okay maybe this guy is legit yeah until he attacks her and then we find out it's actually a scroll which uh, you know shocking but still he um he took the shape of the Silver Surfer, and of all things, we go back to the Death of Captain Marvel graphic novel, where apparently this scroll was present there as Devil Slayer, of all people. <laughs> so, Devil Slayer, um, Curtis, whenever you do the uh, Six-Fingered Hand epic for Defenders, you guys will be talking about him. Uh-huh. But, uh, yeah, I don't know if maybe, like, you know, Machine Man was busy or something, so... <laughs> He had to pick Devil Slayer. <laughs> yeah. But then I guess the actual Devil Slayer did show up. So he had to go, he had to pretend to be somebody else. And he became Silver Surfer, got trapped in that form. And I think that was, this is like some kind of continuity cover up right here, like to explain why the Surfer was there. Because I think there was like a reason why he couldn't be at the time. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, he undergo he undergoes the Super Scroll procedure. So like he gets Surfer powers and now he's trapped in that form. But uh, Ronan comes back, kills this fake surfer, and as this fake surfer is dying, he's about to tell the truth and then hesitates and doesn't. So he kills him but doesn't know that he was a Skrull. And uh, Surfer and Nova finally kiss, and we end this volume with a Skrull crashing down to Earth where he's gunned down by hunters, but uh, he sends a signal first. So yeah, this was an awesome issue. Yeah. Yeah, it was. It was pretty cool. And if not, just because um, I love the classic, which one do I shoot kind of scenario. Yeah. Um, it's just, uh, yeah, it's just great. Um, and it really doesn't have a whole lot of meat to it. It's just a big battle. And Ronan shows up at the end again. And um, But uh, yeah, it's it's fun. Um, there's a cool cover by Mike Mignola. What's that Mike Mignola? Wow, I didn't even notice that. Yeah. Yeah. He's kind of, 
I don't know when he started getting into the into the biz, but this might he, have been kind of early for him. He did a lot of Elf Flight covers, I think, like a little before this. Oh yeah. So yeah, so he 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 was around by this time, but yeah, he wasn't like as big as he would be in a few years. Yeah, you can tell Rogers is out too because he's not even doing the covers anymore. Um, yeah. If he was taking a break, he'd probably still do the covers. But the last issue was a Rich Buckler cover. Yeah, um, I don't know that I have much to say about this issue. Yeah, this one's kind of, this one's a little, no, I mean, nowhere near as dense as those, as those other ones. And it's a good stopping point. Um, what, like I was telling you before, I read this first in, in uh, The Essentials, and The Essentials have a little bit higher of a page count than Epic. So Essentials, I think, added like two or three more issues. And then they also had like the annual. Yes, but um, no, this this was a perfect stopping point. So yep. and then uh, if, we're, if we're done with this one, there's actually some uh, some bonus material. So did you want to go over uh, what yeah, that was? Yeah, let's do that. Okay. Yeah, the, the, we have two issues that uh, round out this this volume here in, of bonus material. Uh, the first one is Supervillain Classics number one, um, which I don't know if there was even a Supervillain Classics number two, but this one's basically... <laughs> <laughs> this is basically just the, the origin of Galactus. It's just a reprint of a story from Thor number 169 from the 60s, and that, that, that issue can be found in um, Thor Epic Collection number four, To Wake the Mangog. But uh, this one expands it a little bit. Um, they take out all of the references to Thor and just take the origin of Galactus and add a few pages here and there um, by John Byrne, uh, written by Mark Grunewald, to, to round out the, the issue to get it up to 22 pages. It's actually fitting to put it in this volume because of what we learn about Galactus and see him using his powers and the reason, like the fact that he existed in the previous in the previous universe before the big bang, like that's kind of yep. all dealt with in this origin story here. Yeah. And so, yeah. some notable dialogue too, that they actually added was that, um, Galactus will give back to the universe what he has taken. Like that wasn't in the original Thor comics. And they also added a lot more about Galactus being from a dying universe where it used to be like the universe was like under, like it was going through like a plague or something like that, or yeah. the planet was, so yeah, they they definitely expanded it to be more um, you know, more cosmic and epic than uh than the Thor stories were. And um and man, that that giant ship that he flies around in, um the world ship. Oh, Ta, yeah. No, that's what his homeworld is called, right? Ta? Ta 2 is the name of the ship. Oh, the yeah. The name of the ship yeah. Ta 2. So it says that he built that with his own hands and it took him a millennia. Yeah. And then um one thing that was cool too about the epics being all inclusive, this was actually reprinted again in 1996 um as the origin of Galactus under Marvel's uh, Cosmic Powers imprint, you know, when they split everything into uh different editorial groups. Yeah. Uh, and they include the cover here. So that's just kind of a, a cool little uh little bonus too. Yeah, and uh, who who did the cover? Uh, Steve Epting, nice. not the first guy you think of with uh, cosmic work, but yeah, yeah, he was he was he was doing a lot of stuff like that for Marvel at the time. Yeah, it's a cool cover, but yeah, let's move on to fanfare. Okay, so this is a uh, Marvel fanfare number fifty one, which came out in nineteen ninety, and I actually had no clue that Marvel fanfare was still going on at that point. So that must have been in like the late stages of that title. What we base this is basically what's called uh, an inventory story. So this was a finished comic that was just lying around in a drawer that never got used for whatever reason. And uh, just to recoup on it, they published it. Um, this was actually supposed to be uh, Silver Surfer number one from 1987. 
um, Steve Englehart is writing and John Buscema drew it, but uh, they, they stay with the old Silver Surfer. Like he's stuck on earth. Um, Mantis is in it and uh, she's raising her boy, uh, her plant human hybrid. His name is Sprout. She's raising him in like Connecticut or something. Connecticut and, uh, because that's where Lorelai was living in the Scorpio oh, Rose comics because you see her I, in I her kitchen that. here as well. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I noticed those scenes when you when you had me look at that scene earlier, I noticed they mirrored uh, the fanfare issue. Yeah. yeah so this is kind of like another like surfers mopey. Uh, you know, he can't leave Earth, but he finds Mantis and this kid and maybe he's got a new lease on life with them. And it's OK, but it just like even by like 1987 standards, like this just feels dated compared to what Engelhardt and Rogers did. And I'm like, I'm just I'm so happy we got that stuff instead. <laughs> yeah, well, I think part of that's because of Buscema's art. Yeah. Um, he was definitely and then i mean you even have like mephisto here he's not doing anything he's just kind of watching stuff like it just makes it feel like right. like staying in the past yeah well and the mangog who's a character from the 60s shows up and yeah yep. um the thing that's the most interesting about this issue is that we find out we we get to know mantis's son which she doesn't have in um like she has the son she mentions that she has the son but we don't actually see the son right in the actual issues so we get to uh, find out about him a little bit and find out what he can do. I think when he actually shows up in like the real continuity later, he's different. His name is uh, like a uh, Quai or Koi, something like that, like Q U O I. That's like when Engelhardt came back in like 2000 or 2001, something like that. But um, yeah, this is kind of just like what what could have been. Yeah, I'm I'm glad that they they didn't go this route as well because it's uh. <laughs> seeing yeah. what what um, Steve was actually capable of when he was allowed to to run free is just uh yeah this, this doesn't hold up at all yeah he's got he's got handcuffs on here you can tell like yep. like like after what we just read like reading this it's like wow there's there's no comparison no so that I mean that's kind of that's kind of all I really have to say for that one. We get some um, Marvel Age articles too uh, just like we get a hype piece for the new series a stand soapbox article. Mm -hmm. um, they go over the history of the character, which I loved at the time. I don't know if you ever bought Marvel Age, but uh, it, w it was I think it was cheaper than regular comics, but it was just really good at giving you like a lot of cool articles and information about the characters. So that's yeah. kind of neat that they um, that they put that in. And then they, they include, like you said, the letters page and then just uh, covers from like the essentials and things like that that they recolored for uh, previous uh, trade paperbacks of these editions. So a lot of cool extras at the end. There is, um, right before all of the Marvel Age articles, we have the cover to Marvel Age, number 52, with a Marshall Rogers surfer on it. And oh, right, yeah. right beside it, on the opposite page, there's a cover, or there's a, a pinup found in Marvel Fanfare, number 51, by Ron Lim. And uh, you can see that um, Ron Lim, his direct influence was Marshall Rogers, not John Buscema and not Jack Kirby. Ron Lim, who I feel like defined the Silver Surfer really through the 90s, um, it, he just improved upon Marshall Rogers' design. Yeah, if, like, uh, if you're like from our generation of comic readers and like you close your eyes and think of the Surfer, you'd, like, you'd probably see Ron Lim. Yep, definitely. I know yeah. I do. Wow. There we go. That is that was a this is this is a good epic, you know. Um, there's a lot of content in there and a lot of uh, variety and um, 
you know, the bang for your buck is just great. Yeah. Um, I mean, my, like overall thoughts for me, like this was uh, extremely dense plotting, but I'd never felt that it got too confusing. Um, I never felt that it was too uh, like, I never thought it was spinning wheels, like with the you know, moving pieces in the motion, because there, are, there is a lot of stuff going on. They're tying a lot of plots together. I thought it was all done seamlessly. Um, each issue had like a great cliffhanger that made you want to, you know, read what happens next. And, you know, this was just like I was telling you before, I read this first in Essentials. And this was an absolute joy to read in color. I, 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 I love bet. this epic book. I can't even imagine it not in color because color, I think yeah. the color adds so much to the, the world that that we're experiencing here. Especially since it's the penciler doing it. Like yeah. it's a little bit more hands on. Yeah. Well, I I agree with you about the dense plotting, and I've found that that was a hindrance for me in a few spots. Um, just like when I was saying I had to put it down and pick it back up and stuff. Just it was because there was just too much going on, and it could be that you know I have children running around and I couldn't concentrate on it as much as I wanted to. This was also but... the third time I read it too. So, okay. I mean, yeah. I, I I I mean, I'm sure I probably had to reread a few things for the first time. Yeah, but it's but um, the the payoff is great, and yeah. this the uh, the pacing is quite a bit different in the next volume. Things things ramp up and move quite quickly, so it'll be an interesting conversation when that one comes up. I'm looking forward to that. Yes. Yeah, so, uh, like, now that uh, Silver Surfer is part of the epic line, um, is that like what you're looking forward to most for uh, for like a, a future Surfer volume? I think so. Um, I I mean I I know nothing about Surfer, so I'm looking forward to finishing off this run. I uh, and then yeah, I'd like to get a good collection of the Stan and and Busema stuff because I haven't really read that either. Yeah. And then I just don't know what's what's beyond that. I I think they're probably going to hold off on the Stan. I'm sure stuff they will, just because it's so readily yeah. available. Yeah. Um, one thing that nobody ever really talks about that's an awesome run is uh, J.M. Dimatisse and Ron Garney. Uh, they had a run in like 1997, 96, 98, somewhere around that time. And Ron Garney like just drew him so awesome. Cool. And like this, this was after Garney was already established as like a like a good artist after his Captain America run. Yeah. And uh, that that stuff's never been collected. And that's pretty much like the end of the Surfer's first volume. So uh, yeah. So I'll be checking the uh, you know the solicit and stuff for uh for the next surfer cross my fingers for that one because that's yeah. that's good stuff awesome well thanks for uh running through this stuff with me james this was great thank you curtis like yeah this was this was one of my favorite uh favorite volumes so it was uh it's a pleasure to share it with you and i, I hope all you listeners uh decide to check this out too because it's great stuff thanks everyone for listening in you can reach us on facebook or twitter leave a comment on our website, or you can email us at epicmarvelpodcast.com. But we thank you for tuning in, and we will see you next time. See you, guys. Thank you. Thank you.